Good morning. Good morning, Rabbutai. Welcome back to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated for the continued health of Rabbani Chana Batsimafega, for the Fuashema of Eliyahu Shimon ben Mazal Fortuneh, for the speedy and complete Fuashema, <coughs> for their grandfather Yosef ben Dora, sponsored by Aaron and Eileen Furman, and as well, uh, dedicated in loving memory, Luni Shmat Elabat Eliezer Dov Jaffe, Alava Shalom, sponsored by her son. Schneer, uh, Schneer Jaffe, and dedicated loving memory of Eli Dur, Allah Shalom Nishmat Eliyahu Ben Sion Bifarida, Allah Shalom for his Shiloshim, sponsored by his son, Sonny Dur. Also, dedicated loving memory of Leslie Bailey, Lilu Nishmat Leah Bat Adel, Eliyahu Shalom, by her husband, Joey Bailey, and family. Uh, dedicated loving memory of Albert David Mystery, Allah Shalom, Lilu Nishmat Abraham David Ben Yafa. Sponsored by Linda and Morris Mystery and Family. And finally, the week of Cobra was sponsored by David Yash in honor of you and your unwavering committee commitment to doing good for the state of Israel and for others around you during these challenging times today and every day. My friends, I'd like to also welcome, we have a tzaddik amongst us, all the way from London, from our Chazak team, our Rosh Habura, our Rosh Kolel, our Rosh Yeshiva, all wrapped up in one. Rabbi Nathan Kalani, who is running the BBM program in, uh, in, in London, which has been a tremendous lifeline, not only now during the time when yeshiva boys are not able to go back to Israel, but even before you have boys that would come back from Israel um, and lose everything that they spent all that time working on. And now they're learning every day, every night, fathers and sons learning together. I've had so many people tell me that the BBM program is something which literally revived uh, Judaism, uh, in, uh, in London. So, Hazaku Baruch, we have the rabbi with us. Hazaku Baruch, you should go from strength to glorious strength. You are building Talmidech Chachamim on the streets of London. Okay, let us begin. My friends, the Pasuk tells us, Amar, and God said, Am I going to cover from Avraham that which I plan to do? Abraham is going to be a great nation. And mighty. And all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through him. i got to tell him what I'm planning to do in Sidon. Now, again, I want to point out, there's, there's a couple of interesting nuanced points that we need to isolate and identify in the Pasuk. The first one is, hold up, we never find language like this. Anywhere else. If God wants to talk to a Navi, what does he do? He talks to a Navi. If God doesn't want to talk to a Navi, what does he do? He doesn't talk to a Navi. God, no one can tell God what to do. He's God, right? So if God wants to tell the Navi what he's going to do, he will. If he doesn't want to, he won't. But look at the tension that we're experiencing in this Pasuk. If God wanted to tell Avram what he was going to do in Shechem, he should have just told him. Like every other prophecy in the entire Tanakh, we don't find God saying, should I? Shouldn't I? Okay, you know what? I can't not. Literally, that's what we're reading over here. Hashem says, In other words, I was not going to tell him. But could I cover up from Avram? I can't not tell him. So number one, I want to point out, uh, so to speak, 
recognize that this language is a very strange language. The second thing I want to point out is that it seems like what we have here is a non sequitur. What's a non sequitur? Nobody? Huh? Am I talking to the wrong crowd? It's a sentence where the, the piece that you're connecting has nothing to do with what you're... Look at what we just read. Should I cover over from Avram what I'm going to do? But Avram's going to be a great nation. What? And all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through him. Okay. So either they will be blessed through him or they won't be blessed through him. But this has, the fact that he's going to go on to become this person... Why is that a relevant factor in making it be that case? What's the next pesu? What does that have to do with telling him what he's going to do to Saddam? How can he do what? How can he destroy a whole city and maybe Sadiqim and so on and it may look like it's unjust? And then what? And then what? Look what happened. It still continued that way anyway. So I, you're saying God was worried Hashem would he would abandon Hashem over this. It, it would not fit into his his whole moral code. I find that difficult to believe. Why? Because when it came to Akedah of Yitzchak, who was a perfect tzaddik, God was not worried that Avram would leave him over that. And when it comes to the destruction of a people who are the most wicked, backwards, uh, anti-kindness. That those are the people that God is worried. He's worried. Come on, I don't believe that. I want to share with you something that's unbelievable. I want to share with you actually two things. First thing I want to share with you is the words of the Khatam Sofer. The Khatam Sofer writes in his Hakdama to Pituche Chotam, in his Hakdama to his book, he writes something remarkable. He says that you know why God says, Am Abraham? Am I going to cover over from Abraham what I'm going to do? You know why? Because Abraham was not on the level to get this nevoah. He was not on the level to be a Navi. He did not deserve to be a prophet. You know why? Because he was not holy enough, prophet enough. Now that, first of all, that should rock your very world. What are you talking about? Abraham Avinu. Come on, what are you talking about? How can it be that we're saying Abraham Avinu was not enough to be in it? Now, if the Khatam Sofer did not say this himself, I would not have believed it. But I, I saw it with my own eyes. If you want, I'll send you a copy afterwards. And he says something, Sarah might have been greater. That doesn't mean that Abraham is not Razin de Ma'aminim. He's the father, he's the father of the forefathers. Not only that, he's already experienced prophecy many times before. There's so many, he discovered there's so many questions. Listen to what the Khatam Sofer says. By the way, can we just all pause? Can we just do a, a massive round of applause? Applause? Because Stephen Bates just walked in the room. It's related to coffee. <laughs> By the way, I bless you that you should have many things in your life that you should, be, you should not be sure when everyone starts clapping for you, you should be sure which of the things it is for. But for, the, but for the moment, the coffee today is delicious, and we said to everybody that we owe a debt of gratitude to the Bitesh Mishpucha for uh, sponsoring the coffee. Azaku Baruch. L'chaim.
No, tell me if you enjoy it. Unfortunately, he's not a coffee snob. He buys coffee from the streetcar on the street, and that's why we have these cups to make him feel happy. And then we do it. All right? So Baruch Hashem. Okay. Hazaku Baruch. So my friends, the Chatam Sofer says something unbelievable, and I want you to listen carefully to what he says. He says something so special. He says, to be a Navi is not an easy thing. To be a Navi, we learn, Chachamim explained to us, there's a refinement process that a person needs to go through. The 10 steps of Rabbi Chas Ben Yair that lead a person to uh, this heavenly spirit, right, that take him to perfection. Unbelievable, right? The person needs to develop and become better and better and better until the person's at the level where they're at, where a Navi. It's a tremendous amount of work. And usually, when a person is a Navi, what do they spend their time doing? Introspection, working through each one of these levels, raising the person's level of Kiddushah, of Torah, of everything. But Avraham Avinu was busy day and night, not studying with the greatest rabbis, but entertaining at his Shabbat table idol worshippers. Having, pardon the dad joke, idol talk. <laughs> Talking about nothing. Making the guy, Avram's running around, baking cookies. Uh, slaughtering, grilling stuff on his uh, grill for the guy to come around. Ela bakar, ratz Avraham. Avram Avinu's opening up a smoke shop. What are we talking? Planting trees. He spent all of his time trying to bring people back to God. But the time that he spent on other people was time that he did not spend on himself. Says the Khatam Sofer, God says, I recognize that every moment that you would not have been spending on all these people to raise their level, you would have been spending on your own self. I want to give you an example. Chacham Tzion Levi, Alava Shalom, moved to Panama. Obadiah Yosef is a contemporary of Chacham Tzion Levi. They studied in the same all-star cast. There's a picture, by the way. There's a picture of, uh, of the rabbis of Porat Yosef at that time. The you know, graduating class of whatever, okay? Whatever year it was. And in that picture, it's Chamovadia Yosef, Hambetzion Shaul, Rev Mazuz, Rev Mashash. It's not normal. Everyone, every great, Chamzion Levi, Cham Baruch Ben Chaim. They, they're all in that, sorry? Rav Shlish was in there. It's unbelievable who was, who was in this class. Every one of them went on to be like a Gadol Hador. I wish I was in that class to be the, the dumbest guy to clean their shoes, to lick the dust off of their feet. I would be a much bigger rabbi than I am today if I was the, the living at the dust of their feet at that time. But anyway, all these rabbis, and what did they do? They each went on to make huge contributions to the world, to their communities. Chamo stayed in Eretz Israel. He lived amongst the lions. He lived amongst great rabbis. This man, Cham Levi, went to Panama. He relates that when he came to Panama, the first Shabbat, Friday night, they did not have a minyan. They said Kabbalat Shabbat. He looked around, there's not a minyan. The first week he comes to this place, imagine, these are his contemporaries. He goes to be the rabbi in this country. And it was after Kabbalat Shabbat. They still didn't have a minyan. He said, Where's it gonna, where, what's it going to be with the minyan? The guy says, no worries, rabbi. And he pulls out the phone from underneath the bima and he starts making a phone call. <laughs> this is where the rabbi went. 
He went to a place where there were no contemporaries. There was no Havruta. There was nobody like him. And slowly, slowly but surely, imperceptibly, without anybody even realizing, Hamtzion Levi changed the entire community. People tried to come in, by the way, at the time, and do other things, and he threw them out. You want to come run a kolel over here, grab the top religious guys, separate them, isolate them, and make them more religious, and let me lose the whole community? If I do it my way, you know what will happen? The whole community will be eating kosher. Slowly but surely, the whole community will be Shomer Shabbat. If you come in here, grab four, five, eight guys, ten guys, separate them, build the wall of China, they will be very religious, but no one else will be. Because you will have taken the motors, the engine of the community and isolated them from everybody else. And by the way, that is not a simple decision to make. Sometimes people think, no, yeah, we got to start a new school, we got to start new this, new everything. And they think they're doing the service. And they are for the Yechidim. But there's a price to pay. And they're going to have to give an answer for the fact that sometimes they robbed the rest of the community of the influence of those people. My friends, I want you to understand. Chamsi Levi, I'm sure, in Panama, did not grow in the way that Chamuvadia Yosef grew amongst the lions of Porat Yosef, amongst the Bet Din of Eretz Israel. He didn't have his... But in Shamaim, God says, what do I want? What do I need? What am I asking you for? And the Khatam Sofer brings something incredible. He says, if I wanted perfect people, I could have created more angels. I could have created more malachim. But someone who's fighting for me, bringing people back to Torah Judaism, get, connecting them to tefillah, filling a bed Knesset, the rabbi who's spending his time, and you know what? He's not as big of a rabbi as he would have been or could have been if he would have stayed in Kolel his whole life and become a Rosh Kolel. And so, he's not. He's not. But says the Khatam Sofer, Avraham. The reason why he's not the highest level Navi is because of what he did for me. It's because he went down into the filth. He spent all of his time. I promise you in Shamaim, the disco Rebbe, Rabbi Grossman from Migdala Emek, who spent his time walking into clubs on Friday night, gathering people, bringing them back to Torah Judaism. You know what? You know what he wasn't doing when he was in the club on Friday night? Grabbing these souls back? He wasn't spending time learning Kabbalah in the basement with six other Mukubalim. He wasn't. But in the final analysis, says the Khatam Sofer, God looks at a person like that and he says, Hamechaseh ani Avraham. I want to share with you something I learned from my rabbi that blew my mind. You know, every once in a while, you learn something from your rabbi and you're like, wow, I never knew that. Now let me explain. I don't mean when they tell you a factoid. Oh, you know, Sarah was this age and she didn't have... That, it's, that is a new bit of information that you have. But that's not when a person's whole worldview changes. If you have a good rabbi, they're changing your worldview multiple times. You're seeing things, people, the world, yourself in a different way, again and again and again and again. We read it, we think that that means that God, in His goodness, He gives us new kindnesses every day. He brings us a new tuna sandwich. He brings us another piece of pizza. There's a new kosher restaurant. Ah, The greatest kindness of God 
that he's mechadesh betubo b'chol yon tamid, is that he makes me new. He renews my strength. But more than my strength, he renews my perspective. He renews my resilience. He renews my capacity to, to do good today and every day. Because I witness something, because I learn something, because I grow. That's the greatest recipient of Mechadesh B'tubah B'chol Yom Tamid when you are new every day of your life. So my friends, I want to share with you an example of this. At the time the Kolel was fledgling, he creates my rabbi, Rabbi Berkowitz Shalita. He creates rabbis and he sends the rabbis out to change communities. He wants them to study for a few years with him. He packs everything that he can into those three years and then he kicks you out. Go, go here, go there, change his place. And he taught us as well that you don't own, if you're a rabbi, you don't own your own life. You don't exist for yourself. Am Yisrael owns your life. You, you decide what you do and where you do it, where the Jewish people need you the most. So that's the conversation the young rabbis have with the rabbi. When they get job offers, where can I make the biggest difference? And sometimes you go to a place you never thought. I went to England only because I'm a student of Rabbi Berkowitz. If I was not a student of Rabbi Berkowitz, there is 0.00000000% chance I would have went to England. But the rabbi instilled in us this thing. You know what? There's a lot of rabbis in Deal and in Brooklyn. You, you're not needed there. And when I chose to do this job, or Israel, when I chose to do this job, part of the reason why was because there aren't a lot of rabbis here in the Manhattan. And, there was, and it takes a specific type to be able to relate, to communicate in, in, a, in a situation like this, in the city that never sleeps. So my friends, I want to share with you a conversation he had with us. It was the beginning of the time of the Kolel. And the Kolel was struggling to be able to pay the rabbis to sit and learn. And I want you to understand what you're talking about. You know how much you make a month in the, in the Kolel back then? You're talking about, I think it was $400 a month for a young family. If you're not dedicated, if you're not finding other ways to make a few dollars, if you don't have some people who want you to become, who believe in you, that you're going to become a leader, a spiritual leader, a rabbi, if there's not someone who's sponsoring you to be able to get through that journey, you, you are not eating out in restaurants, you are not having a glamorous life, you're living in a tiny apartment, everything is, you're taking buses because you, uh, a, a you can't afford a cab, never mind a car. That's what it means to risk, to give up everything, to become a Ben Torah to become a, a Torah scholar. And you should just know, I've mentioned this a few times, there are people from this community who've decided that they would like to take on a rabbi. And they'll spend, they'll sponsor the journey. It costs about, I think it's $36,000 over three years, right? Something like that, to be able to sponsor someone to go through this time. And then all that the person becomes throughout that time, they're a rabbi because you put them through that and every Talmud that they make and every Torah class that they teach, it's because you were able to... So we've had a few people in this community who have taken people through that journey. And I'm proud to say that there are rabbis out in the field right now who are, are there because of people in this in our community who, who don't even know who they are, but they sponsored that journey for them. What an unbelievable zechut to be able to put that under your belt, okay? And you're basically paying for the guy what it costs a month. At the time though, Rabbi Berkowitz did not have people like this. It was a new kolel. I joined. There was 15 people in the kolel. The first zman, and they were struggling to come up with the money to even pay the smallest amount to the rabbis so they could sit and learn. Along comes a donor, 
And the donor says, I would like to sponsor people in the kolel, but on one condition. That the rabbis, they saw in a document uh, called Yisachar Zevulun. What does that mean? Yisachar and Zevulun are two brothers. Yisachar spent all the time learning Torah. Zevulun spent all of his time out working. And Zevulun used to pay, used to sponsor, used to have a, be a partnership with Yisachar. I'll give you half of my income. You give me half of your reward in the world to come. In fact, Rav Moshe Feinstein says that for a true Yisachar Zevulun partnership, the guy giving up the money needs to give up half because he's asking for half of the zechut. There's no good, you know, you don't get a deal, half of his zechut for uh, 4% of the money that you made. That makes sense. So there's a whole, not everyone holds like that, okay? My friends, so the rabbi came to us, he says, I'd like to get everyone in the kolel to sign on the document that they're giving up half of their zechut of Torah because someone's going to sponsor the, the, uh, the amount of money for the kolel for everybody to get paid every month. So the, there was an uproar. People said, well, I'm signing away half of my sachar. I'm sitting here learning from the morning until the night. I'm going to sign away that sachar for $400? Half of that sachar? You're not learning to get a sachar. You still get sachar. Do you want to give that away? So my rabbi said something unbelievable. Now, I've heard before that sachar is like the light of a candle. You light a candle, you take another candle, you bring it to the candle, you light another candle from it, it doesn't lose, the candle doesn't lose from its light because it shared its light with someone else. So that's also what sachar means, you give up half of your sachar. You lose nothing. I've heard that before. Either you buy it or you don't. That's not the point. But my rabbi said something that was unbelievable. He said like this. He says, what you lose in sachar, you make up in divekut. We had no idea what he was talking about. What you lose in reward, you make up in cleaving to God. And he shared the following story, and I'll end with this. Famous story with the Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon uh, once was approached by his students. It was Sukkot, uh, and it was approaching, and they did not, could not find the etrog in the region. One guy brings the etrog. Remember, they could not plant etrogim in Russia, in Poland. It was too cold. One guy brings a kosher etrog. They tell him, we'll pay anything. The rabbi doesn't have an etrog. We'll pay any price you want. The guy says, I'm not giving up. It's my etrog. I only have one. I'm going back to my city. They say, anything you want. He says, okay, no problem. I'll sell you the etrog to the rabbi on condition that I get the reward of his mitzvah. Now the students, they would have paid any money to get their rabbi the... But now he's going to do the mitzvah, but... He's not going to get any of the reward. They go to the rabbi, they're shaking, they don't know how to say this. Rabbi, we tried, we couldn't find it anywhere. One guy has a thing, he made a condition, he's only willing to sell you, sell the etrog, and the purchase price is that he gets all of your sachar. The Vilna Gaon started dancing, and smiling, and laughing, he was so happy. And they asked him, Rabbi, everything okay? And the rabbi said, my whole life, I never knew and I do a mitzvah, am I doing the mitzvah because I'm going to get rewarded for it in this world or in the next? Or am I doing it because I want to do what my master Hashem told me to do? A mitzvah purely done for the sake of heaven because Hashem told me to do the mitzvah. And in every mitzvah, even as much as I tried to do it for the right reason, in the back of my mind, I knew I was making money. You have a doctor, he saves a life. So he thinks to himself, you know what, I'm very altruistic. I'm doing this for all the right reasons. 
and $100,000. I have 100,000 of the right reasons. So in the back of your mind, you don't know whether or not you're doing it because you are a healer, you want to help people, or because it helps even for the money, right? When do you know that you're doing it for the right reason? If you find somebody you can't afford, and you do it, pro bono. The Vilna Gaon never had a chance in his life to do a mitzvah pro bono. So what happens? In this moment, the guy's going to get all of his... The, the, the Vilna Gaon is dancing. My, my rabbi said, he said to all of us, he said, do you think there's, there's a mitzvah that the Vilna Gaon did in his whole life which could begin to compare to what he got in Shamaim for the mitzvah that he did with no reward? What? But he gave up the reward. He's getting more reward because he gave up the reward, but then that's the reward. He said, what you give up in Sachar, you gain in Dvekut. Let me explain. What is the reward in Gan Eden? The reward in Gan Eden is our connection, our closeness to God, the source of all light, the source of all energy, the source of everything, of life, the source of all Kiddushah. And the reward is that we get close to God. You could get that as a reward, or you could get that because you took steps closer to Him. One is Sachar. I pay you for the mitzvah in closeness. And the other is closeness. Whatever you gave up in Sachar, you gained in closeness. Mind-bending idea. It helps me a lot when I think about the fact you're helping someone and they treat you like a piece of garbage and there's zero appreciation. They expect everything from you and whenever any, you need anything, they're making comments, they're the guy in shul that doesn't like you. Right? You understand what I'm saying? And Rebrukowitz would tell us it's a good thing we're not doing it for the appreciation. My friends, you understand? That's what the Pasuk over here is telling us. Avraham. Avraham Avinu did not climb the ladder of Nivuah to the point where I'm giving him a Nivuah because he deserves a Nivuah. Why did he get that Nivuah? He got that Nivuah, my friends, because he spent every minute not working on himself and his own level and his own closeness to Hashem. He didn't have time to learn that or to do that or to be that. And do you know why he didn't have time? Because he cared so much about God and God's connection to his children that he put every ounce of his strength into God's children and bringing them closer. So God said, could it be possible that he would lose out from that? A lot of times a person thinks if I spend time on someone else, I'm going to lose. But ultimately, every second, every minute you spend on another person, HaKadosh, figure, figure, HaKadosh Baruch Hu figures out a way to give it back to you. That's why it uses that strange language. How could I not give to him? But my friends, the second part is, that's why it's not a non sequitur. You know why I'm going to tell him, Abraham. Abraham is going to be a great nation. And you know why he's going to be a great nation? He's going to be a great nation because he emulates my midah of giving without taking. Giving without it being about you. And the blessings are going to come to him to all the nations of the world. Why? Because he is a pipeline to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I want you to understand this. If you have a pipe 
and you have another pipe, and you want to fit those two pipes together and not lose a drop of the water that comes through them, what do you have to make sure? That the pipes are the same size, that they fit. If this pipe is too small, you're not getting enough. If the pipe is too big, the water is spilling out over the sides. Avraham Avinu, in emulating God in this way, where he was focusing and fixating on everybody else's needs and not on himself, because he understood that that's what a person is here for. We hear, we exist for others. That's what a Jewish person's mentality is supposed to be. Therefore, v'nivrechu, through him, uh, the blessing is going to come to all the nations of the world. Because he is a direct comparison. He is a direct uh, uh, facsimile, copy of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the spiritual realms is Avraham Avinu in the, in the physical realms. God says, like I am one in the heavens, Yisrael, you are one on earth. Not because racially you're superior, but because you mentally decide. And anyone that joins you from any nation, nation, race or creed, you make a decision that your life is not about yourself. Once you've done that, you mirror God and you become a pipeline for Berachah to spread that throughout this world. Hashem should bless us to live up to that lofty mission 